Welcome back to The Francisca Show, where we encourage fellow artists and entrepreneurs to collaborate and support each other while sharing their stories. I'm Francisca, a singer, composer, and also your host. And just before we begin the show, I'd like to thank our sponsors. ShopDrop is an iPhone app that lists every sample sale in New York. So if you want to buy designer clothes without breaking the bank, go to your iPhone and download the ShopDrop app today. So welcome to the show. Today we have founder of Nusha Magazine, a homeschooling mom and writer by the name of Rachel Lazar. It's so nice to have you here on the show. Hi, it's nice to be here. <laughs> a trailblazer you are, starting an online publication. You're reaching your one-year mark in just a couple of months. How does yes. it feel? Uh, it's been incredible. I'm so surprised how fast it's grown, and I'm just thrilled that we're at this point. So tell us, how did you get started with this? I, we probably have to rewind a bunch of years back. I'm sure your passions and what led you to start this online magazine started somewhere. So I have been writing myself since I was a little girl. Um, it was like really the first passion that I ever had as a kid. Um, I used to write stories like, like little uh, children's books with illustrations, and I'd spend my weekends just writing this book over and over again. I don't even know where it is, but I had this, I think it was called The Big Purple Monster or something. So I always loved writing. And as I got older, I wrote for um, local publications. I wrote to more national newsletter type things. When I was in high school, besides writing for school stuff, I also was published in a Lubavitch Women's Magazine about my, basically my life story, how I became a religious girl. <laughs> I was still a girl back then. I got a lot of very good feedback and encouragement from my principal, from my teachers. So I, I knew I had found something that I had hoped would help me in the future, would help encourage others and inspire people. And I really enjoyed it a lot. I actually, once I got married and had kids, I put it on hold for a lot of years. About a year and a half ago, I started writing again. I think just the the way that social media has been changing and the transparency and the way that people are talking about things more, which I think is amazing. It kind of inspired me to just sit down and start writing again and telling my own stories. The problem was, as I looked around, I saw that there is a lot of small pieces on social media, but there, there isn't really very many good platforms where everything comes together and it's more, it's a lot of voices together and connecting other people on a larger scale. I was writing for more local newspaper type things on tips on, you know, how to get your kids to read or what kind of places to take them and, and spend quality time with them. But I, I didn't see a lot of personal stories. So I was discussing it with my husband. I'm like, there's a lacking here. I want to do something about this. He said, so he actually, his mind was like, go start your own magazine. <laughs> so at first I laughed because I was pregnant with my daughter and due in like six weeks. But I was like, you know what? Let me at least see if there really is a need for this or if it's just something in my head. <laughs> so I sent out feelers and I, the response was overwhelming. I was so shocked at how many people were so enthusiastic about this idea. So I decided just to go for it because if you don't just do something, it's going to be on the back burner forever. 
So I went for it and it took me obviously with having a baby a few months to get everything together. But I set a deadline for myself. I knew that it was probably reasonable to get something out after Pesach. And, and that's how it started. And I just went for it. That's incredible. And I know you said there was an overwhelming response and interest in this online magazine. Are there any major competitors to what you're doing right now? I know there are established print magazines. Who would you consider your competitors out there right now? So I personally don't like to look at it as a competition. I think that there's a need and because there's such a large need, there's space for really everyone. I think that I'm unique in just the way I'm going about it. I know there are different publications that, I mean, a lot of it is online because it is hard to break into that space of print magazine right now with a lot of the already established publications not printing women's faces and that kind of thing. So I know that that's like a whole, you know, other topic, but at the same time, it's definitely affecting where women's magazines are able to come out and be distributed. As far as the online scene, I think that a lot of the other magazines are coming from different angles. I think we all come from different angles and I think there's room for all of us because there really hasn't been, I mean, within the last maybe two years is is when the influx of this started. I, I don't think before this that people were really ready to talk about a lot of stuff openly. And I think with the the boom of social media, I think people are becoming a little bit more comfortable. And, and because of that, there's space for all these different places to express yourself. And I agree with you. And I love how you answer this question. I'm just wondering when you said there are many different angles and there's room for everyone. What, <laughs> what is your angle? What, what's the angle that Rachel Lazar is representing? So I wanted a space where women whether they were wanted to come in anonymously or even take the next step and come in as themselves with their faces on it and their, you know, their backgrounds, um, where they could come and really tell their stories in a way that they felt connected to a community, to other women. My goal starting this was really to feel for, for others to feel as they're reading and as they're writing and contributing that whatever they've gone through, whatever they're going through now, they're not alone. Someone else has been there and they can help you and support you. And even if they can't relate to your exact story, they can relate to aspects of it and they can find themselves in other people's words. When I was writing my personal stories, I, I've been through a lot with my own family, with my own children, with a lot of medical things, a lot, I mean, a lot. Um, and I felt like uh, some of those periods of my life um, were very lonely. I felt like a lot of people couldn't relate to some things that I was going through. And I turned to writing as much as I could with everything that was going on. But I, I did feel like there wasn't a lot of talk about certain things. And the support that I had was very little. And even if there were some people that tried to give as much as they could physically, like if someone would provide me meals or a place to go for Shabbos, on an emotional level, it was very hard to find people who could relate. Um, so when I started the magazine and people started coming out with their stories and talking about things that they've been through or they're going through, the response from other people are like, oh, me too. And I think that that feeling of not being alone in your struggles is really the key here. And that, that for me, that's the angle I'm coming from. I want people to be able to feel like they have a safe place that they can share and connect with other people and know that they're not alone. 
And this is so on target. And you did mention the From Women Face campaign and that that whole boom with social media. And if you look at traditional Jewish publications that are geared toward Orthodox communities, you really notice that they are speaking, even though they do bring up more and more taboo subjects that they will allow, there's still so much they don't talk about. And there's definitely a need for, for the truth for some people would call it dirty laundry, but I would just call it raw and real. And Jewish women who are so real are really seeking a place to share and relate with other women. I think that's the problem. I think when they pick up a lot of these publications, I mean, I personally don't like to use this word, but I've heard the word used and and I think it might be on target. Some of it's very fluffy. I'm not saying all of it is, but there is a lot there that is left out. And I think that 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 hole is a problem because anyone who's going through anything raw or real, they need that place. They need that connection with other people. They need to know that life isn't just fluff and kitchen recipes and, you know, cute stories. Like life is real. There are things that happen that are not always so pleasant. And if we shut them out or push them under the rug, and they're never spoken about, then how is a person to know that what they're going through is normal and that there are people to turn to and that this is okay to speak about if you need help and to ask for help? And this is absolutely true. I think you actually answered my question. I pitched uh, my podcast as a story to one of the publications and they told me it's not what they're looking for. And I just feel like it's too real for them. Listening to Jewish women talk about hot topics and dealing with being an artist as a Jewish from or even non from woman they don't want to hear about that they don't want right. the real stuff i mean even even not topics that are about careers even like things that people go through on a daily basis in their lives somebody just sent me an article that was rejected also from another publication about nutrition and we were trying to figure out why would this be rejected? But I think that probably coming out in the issue <laughs> that this will be released around nutrition and fertility. And the thing is that she she told me they've addressed the issue of fertility before. But I think that we, we really didn't know. It's not like the language was very explicit. I think that things are being censored to a very strong degree at this point. And listen, I'm not encouraging all kinds of you know, language and whatever. And obviously there are things that I have to, you know, very nicely tell writers, like this might not be perfect for all those sensitive audience members, but it's so small what I'm saying. Like, I think that the topics in general and the the feeling behind it needs to be there. And if it's not there, if, if you're missing that in the mainstream media, then, then where is there a place to turn? Yes, absolutely. And we have been discussing this also with Flappish Girl on our previous episode here. Now we're talking about all these taboo topics and women are sharing. And you said you've went through so much in your life. Can you just share a few stories? They don't have to be your own, but some of your biggest pieces that were published through Nasha Magazine that you think made a big impact or hurrah on the scene. Yeah, um, a lot of really strong strong and powerful articles that made a very big splash had to do with mental health. That's a topic that people don't like to discuss. Fertility or the loneliness of fertility or going through just treatments and feeling very not supported. 
or even just knowledge within the mainstream community of the fact that it might not be very sensitive to ask a person within five minutes of meeting them how many kids they have. Sensitive topics that people could, that people go through. Um, mental health is a very big one. Um, another, I have a lot of singles that write in about what it's like to be not looked down on, but like still discussed as if they're a girl was the last one that came out was in my last issue was a beautiful article about being referred to as a girl, even though she's a grown woman, but she's not married. So she's, she's considered a girl still. There's a lot of marriage topics that have come up. I mean, really just everyday women experiencing anything in their lives. A lot of these things are just not discussed. And a lot of people get married, not realizing that there are things that are not going to be smooth sailing all the time and that's okay but it needs to be discussed it it has to be out there to know that it's okay otherwise they're going to think there's something wrong with them and they're not going to ask for help because they're going to be embarrassed before we continue i'd like to just bring this up as a public service announcement i got this information from dvora enton who is a licensed therapist who specializes in infertility this message can be for you or someone you might know who's suffering with infertility. One in eight individuals will experience infertility challenges, and the Jewish community has responded deeply and loudly to the needs of our community to make sure that people feel supported, connected, and ultimately more aware and educated about how to access resources and feel connected to others who are going through similar struggles. I'll list a few organizations that provide support and resources. Yesh Tikva is a national organization that brings increased awareness to the Jewish community as well as education to the rabbis and clinicians and the needs of the Jewish couple going through fertility treatments. They offer monthly calls that can be accessed virtually from anywhere in the country as well as fertility friend mentors who are other people who have gone through this in order to guide you as a social support and connection to quality information. A-Time and Bone Olam are other organizations nationally that provide access to either financial resources or support services virtually as well. And ultimately, the Jewish community is really addressing and growing in their response to those who are struggling to build a Jewish family. And now we're back. You're doing such important work, and I wonder, people who take a stance very often get feedback that's not so great and fun from people who feel threatened have you received any negative or fearful feedback on what you're doing um it hasn't been smooth sailing completely there have been some hiccups when i first launched i had i think it was even the first issue maybe the second but i think the first issue i got a message from somebody who was actually upset that i was targeting firm women she said, we're all Jews here. Why can't this be a magazine for all Jewish women? And I, I wrote back to her, the reason that I am focused on the firm women is because I feel like within the firm communities, these things aren't brought up and talked about. So I want to make sure that firm women feel like, yes, we can also discuss these issues. I'm not, you know, you can read it as, as whatever woman you are. I mean, I have men reading the magazine. I'm not cutting anyone out, um, but I, I'm announcing ourselves as a From Women's Magazine because I feel like that's the community that needs to hear this stuff. You're filling um, a need, and 
that's what right. you're catering exactly. to. Exactly. There was one reaction when I also first launched, which surprised me. I asked somebody to write for the Torah Tibbets column, just a Debar Torah about parenting, something. And um, she's an older woman who is who is very, um, I guess I'm going to call her old school. <laughs> um, and she has been a presence in my life for a while. And I was hoping she could share some of her wisdom with other people. So I asked her to do the Torah and she took a look at the magazine. I think only one or two issues have been out again. I think it was only one even. And she told me that she's not comfortable doing it because I thought she was going to say, you know, we're discussing some taboo topics or things that she doesn't want to be associated with. But instead she said the pieces that she read were so raw and emotional and real that it made her uncomfortable. So she doesn't want to be involved. And I was so shocked because I for sure thought she was going to say the topics were discussing something, but it was really just the fact that people are sharing their, their emotions and they're being real. It, and it put her off because she, I guess she's from a generation where like, we don't talk about anything. It surprised me a lot, but I see that you're right. You're going to get some, um, there's a shock factor here. And, and I didn't set out to shock people. I set out to make it more of an inviting community that we can we can share and and support but at the end of the day we are discussing things that haven't necessarily been spoken about openly before so yeah there's a shock factor there <laughs> but even so. with shock there still is space for her to get comfortable and used to this and I hope maybe she will. I hope that a lot of people will at this point I know it's new so new things are scary for a lot of people but I do hope that we are progressing and that we're moving forward and that people are getting more comfortable in these areas. You touched on very important factors. So anyone who creates something like this, an online magazine, monthly you have, you've probably published over 100 articles. Is that accurate? Oh, for or, sure. Or 1,000? Where are we holding um, close to? There's about, there's close to 40 articles per issue. So, yeah, I mean, we're 10, 10 issues with a lot of... <laughs> okay, so we're close to 500 articles, So, and you're the editor-in-chief, and, and that must take up so much of your time. And you're not just an ordinary mom, not that anyone is an ordinary mom, but you homeschool your children. And I have yes. so many questions for you. But first, can you tell us, how do you find the time to work with your kids being home all day? Or maybe they're yeah. not home all day. <laughs> So it's a good question because I have not found the secret formula yet. Um, again, this took off faster than I expected. And at first it wasn't that much of a time suck. And at this point it's become a full-time job. Obviously it's really more than that. Um, I've learned to ask for help as much as possible. Uh, sometimes it's hard to find help. <laughs> I've been, I've been uh, on the search for a nanny for a while now. Um, and Although I have the classic sense of mom guilt, especially because my kids have been home with me for so long and now I need a nanny. Um, I realized as I'm doing this, because, you know, we're promoting real women's lives here, that I am also a real woman with a real life and it's okay to ask for help. So I am, yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to find childcare. In the meantime, I'm still figuring out the work-life balance. I am up very late at night. I don't sleep very much. And my baby is also not sleeping so well through the night. So... They probably get about three hours a night. <laughs> so for anyone who has written an article and finds silly mistakes in there, I apologize. I'm probably sleep deprived, but it's it's a hard it's a hard balance. I'm I'm still trying to figure it out at this point. 
my older kids are very helpful. They've become even more helpful and supportive as the magazine has grown. My 11-year-old is asking me, what can you do to help? My 12-year-old wants to help with like art, the graphics, the, the artistry of the creativity. He's a very creative kid and he's like saying, can he... Can he, when he gets older, can he intern with my photographer? <laughs> he wants to help as much as possible. My 11-year-old wants to help with like posting and editing and all this stuff. They're both very helpful with my little ones. And obviously, I try and get work done while my baby's asleep. But yeah, I mean, it's there are certain hours a day I have to set aside time for their activities and for homeschooling and making sure that everyone is where they need to be. And each day looks very, very different. And sometimes I have to schedule meetings in the car. And sometimes I have to uh, put off editing till very, very late at night. Hope that my children go to bed on time. But, you know, it's a work in progress. How about that? That's great. And can you tell me a, more about your decision to homeschool? What went into that? And- uh, yeah, wow. So I've actually been homeschooling. My oldest is 12 and a half. So I've been homeschooling him really since he was in kindergarten. That's a lot of years. Um, We decided to homeschool. It was actually not where I saw myself. Um, I never imagined I'd be homeschooling mom. I didn't even think about it. I didn't really know what homeschooling was. When my oldest was ready for school, we looked into a lot of options. And because of a lot of medical needs that he had, nothing really seemed right. And someone mentioned to me, why don't you look into homeschooling? And again, I never really thought about it, but it's funny that I didn't think about it because my two of my sister-in-laws actually homeschool and my next door neighbors also were homeschooling. <laughs> so I don't know why it didn't come like come up in my mind before, but then I started asking them questions and I realized that, yeah, I want to try this. So we take it year by year and we always say, you know, we'll see where, where life goes. And I didn't, when we first started, I didn't say, oh, I'm going to do this long term. I'm going to do this as long as needed. And as my second son got older, I saw that he was advancing very quickly because he was learning with my older son. And he was like two grade levels above where he should have been. And I realized that if I put him in school, he would be bored. So I continued with both of them. And then just as time went on and, and, you know, I follow a very eclectic pattern of homeschooling and like to take them on a lot of trips. Uh, we do a lot of stuff from different places. I don't, I'm not one of the people who get like a mail order and just follow one curriculum. I, I'm very, very eclectic with what I do. So it was fun for me too, because I like to organize trips and, and plan different events and different, you know, themes and different fun stuff like that. And my kids were enjoying it. I was enjoying it. So I decided just to continue. Um, and then when my three-year-old was born, I just automatically was like, yeah, of course I'm homeschooling him. And he's already, we, we started reading this week, actually. He's turning four in a few weeks. So I'm like, yay. <laughs> um, but he was ready. And I love the fact that I can recognize when my kids are ready to move on to the next thing and not like lose the opportunity for the enthuse- enthusiasm. And my kids, you know, my older ones are a lot more independent, which has made working now a lot easier they know what they have to do every day they have a list of things they can choose from and they have a schedule for each day of the week and they're a lot more independent they come to me when they need help my three-year-old is now just starting to really school (laughs) like he likes to do that whatever he calls it I know he's technically too young to be registered but he he definitely wants me to set aside time to learn with him now so my schooling really mainly consists of working with him at this point because homeschooling changes as as things go as time goes on and things change and kids get older they become a lot more independent they're able to do more independent work so it's a lot more hands-off with my older ones than it was when they were younger 
I know people must ask you how you bring in the social aspect into their life. They they have each other, which is probably yes. a lot. So we actually, Baltimore, where I live, is actually the biggest Jewish homeschooling community in America. So they are definitely not suffering for lack of people here. We do scheduled learning and play dates with certain families every single week. There is lots of homeschool events and clubs and classes that are held for all the kids in the community. There is definitely things going on every single day. And besides the from community out, there's the Baltimore is also has a lot of museums and the aquarium and the zoo. They've got a lot of different venues for homeschooling classes. And I again, I like to travel. So I sign my kids up for a lot of those classes as well. So they definitely get to sit in a classroom and know what it's like to to spend an hour learning under a teacher with other kids in the class. It's a very eclectic experience that they're getting, I guess. But they definitely see a lot of the same kids each week. And that's because I, the one thing I really do, not the one thing, one of the things I really do love about homeschooling is the fact that they're not forced to socialize in a class with a million kids where, you know, this is who you sit across from lunch. So this is who you're going to speak to for the rest of the year. They get to choose their friends um, and they really like them and they like to and if they're not comfortable, they can just say, I don't want to get together with this person anymore. And that's fine. Um, they have a lot more freedom to choose who they speak to. And, and in the past, however many years I've been doing this, um, that's come in handy because there have been times where there are kids who are not necessarily good for my children. And they've come to me and realized that and discussed it with me. Like, I don't think this person is having a good influence on me anymore. Let's not get together with them as much. And I have the flexibility that I can actually do that. So that's been really good, actually. That's, so, yeah, I know that's a classic question is, like, how do homeschoolers get socialization? And I actually feel the socialization they're getting is a lot more um, intimate. It's a lot more real. And these friendships have lasted many years already. And I feel like even when people move away, they keep in touch. They are a lot it's more they have a bond authentic right they have a real bond because they right exactly it's more it's more it's a quiet setting and they can really be close and not not forced into friendships that they wouldn't necessarily keep outside of school yeah thanks for sharing that and you can't underestimate or under acknowledge that this is you're able to do this because you're able to be home for a family to do this you need a wife or a mother <laughs> who is not running out to work, who is ready to give up a career or a potential so, for a career? Yes and no. Um, most of the women that I know are home, and this is what they do. However, there are a few fathers in the community that are the main homeschoolers that are fine doing that, and their wives work. Um, and then there are also women I know that do have a job, and they – listen, homeschooling doesn't mean like you're – schooling all day long you're not teaching that's not a classroom where you're in it for you know eight hours a day you can accomplish a lot in a short amount of time so the, there are people who do work and they like quote-unquote homeschool for a chunk of time in the evenings and their kids have other activities that are going on during the day or they have you know a sitter that comes with them or they are at their friends' houses or at their cousins' houses or whatever it is, but people do manage. People have different setups. But yes, your classic, your classic homeschooling family is that that there is one parent that is home all day. But there are ways to work it. 
Right. No, because one of the reasons that education exists is because it's a babysitting program for your children. Yeah. <laughs> so somebody has to give in and babysit the kids. You need an adult. You need a responsible designated watcher for the yeah. children to stay home. And that requires sacrifice and tolerance to be able to be around children for so long. And I respect well, that a lot. <laughs> so, I get this question a lot. They say, how can you stand your kids all day? Um, and the truth is that the same answer I always give is really that when you're expecting to have your kids with you, your whole life looks different. Like this is, this is the way that we do things. My kids are home with me and we, we learn and we, you know, hang out and we go places. And like, I love my kids like every parent does. And I enjoy hanging out with them because this is what I'm expecting. This is our structure. This is our setup. Um, if your kids are home from school and it's a, you know, a snow day or, vacation and you didn't it's not your regular structure it's not the way that things regularly are then your kids can drive you absolutely crazy because this is not what your day looks like and it's almost like they're in the way um that's universal it's and and i feel the same way i know it sounds crazy my kids are home with me all time all the time but like that's what my life is like but on wednesdays my my parents take my children and my kids go for probably about four to five hours to my mother's house and she feeds them dinner and I have the space to do what I need to do, go shopping, hang out with my husband. We try and go out for dinner um, and just be in my own house without my children. <laughs> so when my parents are away or somebody's sick or whatever it is and they can't do it, I have my kids home with me for that small amount of time compared to everything else. And it drives me crazy. And I'm like, ah, you know, <laughs> So I'm the exact same way, but it's really because I know in my head, that's the time that my kids are out and this is me time. So whether it's I'm working or, or hanging out with my husband or doing anything like that's the time that is designated for me. So it drives me crazy. Also, it's just the mindset. So if I, if I didn't expect my kids to be there and they were, that would, that would drive me bonkers. So I think that homeschooling parents know like this, this is the way it's supposed to be. So it's not the same. You're not coming in with the same, oh my gosh, get these kids away. They're driving me crazy. That's, that's for times they're not supposed to be there. <laughs> it's a lifestyle really. Homeschooling is a lifestyle. Right. I hear that a lot. And I love how you placed it and explained it. And I think what I love most about it is that it really applies to anyone. You don't, you do not have to be a mother to relate to the fact that if things go on schedule and you're structured and you have your routine you're so much more comfortable and then even even if you're in a class and they go over five minutes those last five minutes could, yeah. could be the most torturous minutes even though you yes. enjoyed the full you know 40 or 60 minutes of the class that you did agree to attend and be present for yes. so it really tries to every part of our lives no matter our lifestyle or stage in life you have passion and you clearly have vision could you share some of your next steps with us and where you see yourself taking oh, Russian magazine um, so I like to see how Nushim is developing um, it's already taken a lot of paths that I never could have expected um, so I almost want to be open to like a lot of opportunities and a lot of different things that could happen. I would obviously like to continue growing Nashim, getting a lot more exposure, bringing more people in. We have just come out with the Nashim dress that Mika Fashion has so amazingly designed for us on her Kintsugi line. Um, 
So that was a path that I didn't expect, but I think that it has been an amazing collaboration. Um, we share a lot of the same goals and vision. So this, this dress is, is a new pathway, I guess, which is, it's terrific. And I think that a lot of these types of venues have been opening up just because it is a new space. Um, so I'd kind of like to see where it goes. <laughs> I like that. And for anyone listening, we interviewed Miriam Grunhouse and she talks about the Kunzuki line that she was working on at the time. Yeah. So she designed her Kintsugi dresses are one solid color and one of like gold or silver cracks to show the scars of people who have been through a lot of things and they're and they're show they're proud of who they are and what they've done and their scars. So our dress cuz again we are about real women and real lives and real struggles. She did our colors for us so it's a black dress with pink cracks or pink scars. So it's nutrient colors. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show. This is a cross interview that we did well, sort of not really but um we have this podcast with national magazine on the francisca podcast and then make sure to check out the article about this podcast on national magazine coming out it should be out right now yes okay <laughs> so you can find us online www.nashimmagazine.com that's n-a-s-h-i-m-m-a-g-a-z-i-n-e we have a subscription available for our principal PDFs because I know a lot of people do not have time to read during the week, so they print it out for Shabbos. Our Nushin dress is also, there's a link straight from our website to Mika Fashion's page, so it is available through her. And we hope to continue going. We post things on social media as well, so you can get some articles through there as well. And if you have been enjoying this podcast, please make sure to write a review and subscribe and tell your friends to check us out as well. See you next time.